Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, I forgot my prop. My prop, Alex, that's a prop. That's an old phone that's no longer useful. Um, The late uh, comedian Flip Wilson once had this funny little bit on on prayer where he said, uh, hey, I'm talking to God right now. Anybody need anything? That's the way we think of prayer a lot. You ask God for things that you need. And you might even put together a a list of things. And uh, undoubtedly, the list will include not just things for yourself, but outcomes uh, for loved ones that you would like uh, to see. Uh, In this respect, uh, God is sort of like uh, the big Amazon in the sky uh, and... uh, Place your order. Anyone need anything? I'm talking to God now. So it's no mystery that common question around prayer that I've heard over the years, we probably all had, is does prayer really work? Which usually means do you really get what you ask for? You know, if you pray hard enough and if your faith is strong enough and all that. Put another way, can we somehow get on God's radar, get God to do something that God wasn't already planning on doing, or perhaps even through our prayers, change God's mind? But think about all this. If prayer is mostly about what we want, then prayer is mostly about the task of bending God's will to mine, getting God to do what we want. Then it's more my will be done than it is thy will be done, right? Thy will be done. God's will be done. The Lord's Prayer reminds us that prayer is not so much about bending God's will to ours. Sometimes, maybe. There are Bible stories about that very thing. Rather, Jesus teaches here, it's about learning to trust in God's will and to align ourselves with what God is up to. It's learning to take on God's perspective. And God's perspective is love. Always love. Love for you, yes, but love for a whole bunch of other people, too. We see it at the very start of Scripture in the garden that God is always seeking for life in all of its forms to flourish. Later in Scripture, it becomes more and more clear how inclusive and how universal that scope is when we learn over and over that God intends for life to be whole for those who are weak 
and marginalized, the ones who get kicked to the corner in this world's kingdom. And yet, we do tend to pray for things according to how it benefits our own self. It's kind of the, even if it's good things, then it's usually good things. In the movie Bruce Almighty, how many have seen Bruce Almighty? Yeah, some pretty interesting stuff in there. Uh, uh, a, for the uninitiated, a character named Bruce, played by Jim Carrey, goes through a spiritual crisis and is tutored by God, played by who else? Morgan Freeman. God even gives Bruce God's powers for a week to learn what it would be like to be God and see things from God's perspective. Now, most of the movie involves Bruce um, using his new powers to benefit mainly himself and to get everything that he wants. So in the scene that we're about to see, Bruce is using his God powers to set up the ultimate romantic evening with his girlfriend, Grace. And as a part of this, he even rearranges the heavens as a part of his manipulation. Let's take a look. And it goes on, you know, things heat up from there, so we had to cut it off. <laughs> it was working, you see. During the course uh, of the movie, though, it becomes quite clear that Bruce is not using his powers to love Grace and to give her what she needs, necessarily. He's only thinking about what benefits himself. Now, Grace picks up on his self-serving ways and eventually leaves him. He's heartbroken because he really does love her, but mostly he loves her for how she benefits him. Eventually, after the school of hard knocks, Bruce comes to a realization of what God's perspective is, what love really is, and what a good prayer looks like. Yeah. Seeing grace through God's eyes. Did you get the shift in Bruce's perspective? The point was no longer whether he got her back for himself, but whether she was happy. So, that's what prayer is about. And I think that's what Jesus teaches us here. How can you and I cultivate a prayer life that seeks to take on God's point of view, which is always that our neighbors' and family members' lives will flourish. Even the neighbors who are different from us and distant from us. A prayer life that seeks that God's will be done, God's love be done, where all life on our planet will flourish, not just human life. And that's an increasingly relevant and highly Christian matter. But here's where prayer gets really rich and deep. Prayer is not about just putting things in God's lap and waiting for things to happen. Here, God, you do it. When Jesus urges us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, there is, first of all, an understanding that God's kingdom will come 
That's a promise. In God's time and in God's way. This is something that God does. This is more of a focus on the future. But these same words also carry a very strong present exhortation. We ought not miss that. Namely, that we are called at the same time to participate in what God is doing in this kingdom that is coming and is here in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the expression of love and of hope that allows human lives to flourish. So, to pray for something that God wants in this world, a healthy planet, for instance, means that we are not only trusting God to do it, but we see ourselves as the hands and feet of God who is getting it done in the world. That means we have work to do. Or if we pray for our neighbor, we also ask, what is my role in this as a partner with God in caring for my neighbor? In the movie, Bruce finally was ready to do whatever was necessary to see to it that Grace would be happy and have what she needed. In our current cultural climate, many have criticized leaders who offer their prayers for the victims of gun violence. We just, just had one, another one, two days ago. That critique is founded in the idea that prayer is a, a passive thing, dumping it on God's lap, and results in no action on the part of the person who's praying. In the Lord's Prayer, we don't have that option. When we pray for God's will to be done, we commit ourselves to seeing it done in word and in deed, participating with God in God's kingdom whenever and however we can. And a little bit later in the Lord's Prayer, we pray for God's forgiveness and we commit ourselves to forgive others as we have been forgiven. You see how that works. This is how prayer works. It's not a passive thing. It's a partnership. It's a relationship. Lastly, were you... Uh, where are you and I, the ones praying, as we sit there with our perfectly normal lists of needs and wants for ourselves? Now, despite what I've said thus far, there's nothing wrong with praying for what you need or even for what you just want. In fact, that's a good thing, too. Remember, Jesus asks us in the Lord's Prayer to begin by praying, Abba. Father, as we discussed two weeks ago, this word is often translated as daddy. Abba is the, the address that a child would use speaking to his or her father. So there's a tenderness revealed to us about God's nature through the person of Jesus. We know from the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer that God loves each one of us and wants good things for us. This is explicitly affirmed in the Sermon on the Mount. But God's kingdom is much bigger than our imaginations. God's will is for the well-being not just of one, but all of God's children. So learning to pray is learning to align ourselves with God's will to love not just me, but my neighbor too, even if there isn't something in it for me. Because let's face it, Often we don't get what we want or ask for, right? 
And it has nothing to do with God not caring for us or us not being a good Christian. It has to do with learning what really matters and trusting God even when it's not easy to trust. For instance, Moses from the Bible. I think you've heard of him. Moses had to learn to live with the great disappointment of often not getting what he wanted, including, at the end, making it to the promised land. That's where his whole life and calling was leading. When you read the many chapters of of Exodus that cover Moses' story of leading the Israelites to freedom and then living for 40 years in the wilderness, you learn a lot about his prayer life, his many, many conversations with God. Moses went from complaining about his shortcomings to complaining about the shortcomings of his people that he was leading to learning how to be advocates for his people when he prayed to God. He was learning to love them. And Moses went from someone who was afraid to become a leader who was a great leader because he, because he learned to pray to intentionally carve out time to talk to God and align himself with God. This is where his strength came from. Those conversations over and over again. Even so, as punishment from God for losing control of his anger, Moses suffered the great disappointment of not seeing the promised land. Right when the Israelites were ready to leave the wilderness and enter the promised land. They were right there, ready to go in, and God told Moses he would not be among them. Now, Moses could have felt angry with God and died an unfulfilled person, but it's quite clear from the Bible that he died with a sense of peace, happy and fulfilled. You see, not only did his people, the Israelites, finally make it to the promised land, But it seems that Moses increasingly developed a rich prayer life and found his greatest joy not in the things that he asked for that he got, but from spending time with God himself. And that was not taken away from him. This became Moses' greatest desire in the end, to be with God. So, learning to pray for God's will to be done is both an invitation to love others from God's point of view, but also to spend time with God and learn to trust God and to cherish that spiritual grounding. It's about building a relationship. Amen.